Content in this episode may be graphic or triggering. Please take care while listening. Welcome back to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast with your hosts, Fatima Silva and Detective Chris Anderson. Hey, buddy. Hey, partner. What's going on? How are you How's doing? How's it going? Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy we Thanksgiving it. week to you, too. Are you still eating leftovers? Unfortunately, not. I have <laughs> such a large family that we didn't have much of a leftover dinner or anything like that. No. So. But that's a good thing because that yeah. means that people like your cooking. It was good. It was yeah. Good. It was we good. had a day of leftovers and that's probably for the best because my pants are getting too tight these days. <laughs> right. Damn things keep shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, uh, this is, let's see, our, this is episode four of mm-hmm. the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. This has been really, I mean, I hate to say fun when you describe you know, talking about crime and obviously mm-hmm terrible things that happen to people, but in in getting the information out there and learning more about understanding evidence, that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know why that's fun to me, probably because this is what I do for a living. I know it's fun for you too. Believe it or not, I have learned some new things in the past few podcasts, even though these are things we've talked about before on Reasonable Doubt. Every time I get to ask more and more questions and we have more scenarios and I really enjoy learning and I enjoy working with you. So yeah, we're having fun while educating everyone and bringing awareness to some serious issues here. Absolutely. And I think that this is fun for us because number one, you and I, we spent a lot of years on Reasonable Doubt, but we have to go through our processes, most of the time we're doing them separately, but now it's just us. We're having to dig into all of this information that we usually get handed to us in the Dropbox file ourselves. So I know I've learned a little bit more about you. I've always known that you are 10 toes down, straight shooter when it comes down to being an attorney, but, but I think I'm learning a little bit more about the way you think. And that's mm-hmm. always fun to me. And plus, this is our passion. You know, it's easy for us to get into stuff like this and see the fun portions of it. And that's the thing. Obviously, when filming Reasonable Doubt, it was such serious content. But we also had fun talking mm-hmm. about the cases and asking one another questions, different analysis on the mm-hmm. same case. That was the interesting part about Reasonable Doubt. And it was a bummer because I think the best part for me in filming Reasonable Doubt was always sitting down with you to do the debrief. We would sneak, okay, secrets out. We would sneak some debriefs on the side when we'd pass one another in the hotel room. Or if I was heading out for an interview, you were coming back, I'd start to pick your brain on things because we're mm-hmm. just so curious. Right. I'm the worst. I am such a curious person. I'm that annoying person that when you meet me, I just asked you 50 personal, inappropriate, crossing all boundaries questions. This is very and- true. <laughs> and it- who brought her to the party, right? I know everyone's <laughs> life story when I leave because I'm just so curious about what makes people who they are. And when I first met you, I did that immediately had to dive in. I need to know your backstory. I need to mm-hmm. know what you're all about. But for reasonable doubt, as much as I enjoyed interviewing families and experts, my favorite part was sitting down with you and hearing your analysis on the same evidence. That's one of the things that I've always been trained that makes you a great investigator is just being naturally curious. Mm-hmm. And it also will make you an amazing investigative reporter because investigative reporters, investigators, they have to be naturally curious. If you're not curious, you won't ask the right question. Your your Mm -hmm. interview will last maybe four to five minutes and then that'll be it. And you've not, you've only scraped the surface of an investigation. 
in that amount of time, not even scrape the surface of it. So I think that the, that your natural curiosity is what makes you such a great partner and investigator. Oh, thank you. Once again, we just want to appreciate everyone who has taken the time to listen, download, share, subscribe, and review and rate all of those things. You are all too kind. I feel like you're all giving us a big warm hug, seriously, mm-hmm. because this is very different for Chris and I. Yes, mm-hmm. we can talk all day, especially me, <laughs> but doing it on a podcast and having to go through cases and, and put it out there sometimes unfiltered, really mm-hmm. unedited. Um, yeah. It's a little different for us. This is just very out of the comfort zone, mm-hmm. even though we're in the comfort of our own home, both sitting in pajamas right now, but we have received a lot of feedback that you all want video. So you want this like podcast on YouTube. We're going to try to do that, but you all just have to promise you won't judge us based on what we really look like because we will not have the amazing makeup artist and hairstylist that is Ching Hua. She was our makeup artist for all the seasons on reasonable doubt for a reason. She's fabulous and amazing. And she can take us looking toe up in the morning and turn that around. So glamorous, but that's not what we really look like. So I've been telling Chris, no, I don't want to do YouTube because then I'm like right now I look like a fraggle rock. I don't, I look like fraggle rock. Does anybody (laughs) remember fraggle rock? It's like the big crazy hair on top. Yeah. (laughs) And my makeup is chapstick because it's so dry out. I cannot put on enough chapstick right now, but Chris, you are going to be working on it, right? To try to get video. Video is coming guys. We've talked about it on several occasions. I don't know if I'm ready for it either because we have to find somebody that can do some editing for us. Just put a makeup filter on mine. Honestly, who even cares? Let's all just look, let's all just look grungy and keep it real. I'm hoping you guys get on this podcast and watch us through video and not look at our faces or how we look. Just pay attention to what we're saying. Believe us. It's all we can ask. Don't, don't send me messages that say team has time to dye those grays or anything (laughs) like that. I already know. Okay. I already know. Chris, have you looked at reviews this week and do you have a favorite? Wait. And before you tell us your favorite review for this week, we found out who it was who came up with team Christina. And that was a lovely fan who has messaged us by the name of April. April, you are amazing. We thank you so much for all the love you've shown and for coming up with that fun little catchphrase for us. Absolutely. Um, see if it'll stick. We've been hashtagging Christina since we found the name. We love it so much. And we'll probably keep hashtagging it on everything that you team see. Christina. What's your favorite review this week, Chris? So my favorite review, I don't know who this review is by, but I cannot get enough of it because it's just so amazing. First of all, their voices are so soothing and sexy. I could listen to them talk all day. Okay. Add in a smooth pour of bourbon and their passion and conviction to seek justice and uncover the truth. This isn't just a podcast. It's an inspiration to keep searching for answers and never give up on your convictions. That was just amazing. As soon as I find out who that person is, I'm definitely giving them a shout out. Guys, any of the reviews that we get on our website or on our RSS feed, we read over all of them and the best ones will get read on our podcast. So remember, rate, review, and subscribe to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. Yeah, you can also review wherever you get your podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I do love this review though. It's 
I like that this person says it's an inspiration to keep searching for answers because that's what we're about. Just keep searching for answers. Keep learning. Keep yes. wanting to learn because just like the law changes, advancement in, in all these technologies, evidence changes, and you want to stay up to date on it. And you want to know what you're hearing about when you're watching the news and they're saying something, you want to be able to say, ah, they said that was DNA, but uh, where was it found and what kind? What of kind of DNA? What exactly. type of context do we have in reference to this DNA? These yes. are the questions that you should ask. Tonight, we have something extra special. It's just going to be an intimate evening with Chris and myself. That's it's right. holiday week. We've got some great interviews and experts lined up in the coming weeks, but we decided we would take this evening to catch you up on some headline cases. And so we have two interesting cases for you tonight that you've probably been seeing on the news. But before we get started, first and foremost, cookie juice. Chris, yes. what are you drinking tonight? This is slowly becoming one of my favorites. I'm not a very big scotch drinker. But tonight I pulled one that I am a fan of. The reason I purchased this bottle, and it's not a cheap bottle, but the reason I purchased it was because it was a celebratory bottle for me succeeding in several things that I set out on the mission to do. I wanted to go and finish up my college degree, which is something that I accomplished this year in 2022. Thanks to the help of my lovely wife, my family, and the support of my damn good sister, Fatima Silva. I did graduate, I got my degree, and so did my brother. We both walked together. Oh, I and, uh, love that. Yes, it was really cool. But I, I decided to go out and buy me a nice bottle mm. of Scotch whiskey. And I bought the Balvini. This is the 12-year-old bottle. Now, I have a 12, an 18, and a 24-year-old bottles that I have in my liquor cabinet. The only one that I've opened is this one, the 12-year-old. So What's it called? B-A-L-V-E-N-I-E. Balvini. How is that? It's Balvini is it's an acquired taste. That usually means it's not that great. So I won't say this is not that great. You know how I am about my bourbons. I like a very smooth and sweet bourbon. Mm. You can tell that there's a little bit of mint and cinnamony type taste Ooh, to it. That's my kind of bourbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of a sting to it, mm. but it's a very tasty bottle. It's very good, but it's a 12-year-old bottle, and it's not the cheapest bottle in my cabinet. Mm. It's probably one of the more expensive ones, but it's a good sip. It's a good drink. But you were about treat yourself. Yeah, and that's right. important. That's the reason why I bought the entire set. I love that. Somebody once told me that every time you accomplish something, mm. and for me personally, they were like, when you win a case or yeah. anything like that in life, when you accomplish something you really set out to do mm. and you finally get it done, treat yourself with something Absolutely. like a vacation or mm. a piece of jewelry, a watch, something you're going to value. Right. I thought that was such great advice because it just reminds you as you're enjoying it, this mm -hmm. is the fruit of my labor. Absolutely. Did I or have I really ever done? <laughs> Not really, <laughs> because I have a very weird relationship with money. That's a total different podcast, probably with my therapist. But um, no, you have a very handsome son. You have a wonderful <laughs> marriage and a beautiful brand new house. No, you're right. Those are things I've accomplished. Yes. But I guess it's more like a personal accomplishment. If I were to win a case or okay. something, or even with reasonable doubt, getting another season, like I never right. went out and just bought myself something nice for me. Everything I buy is 
for the family. But I just think it's because I, I have to get it in my head that sometimes you can, I call it wasting money. See, that's not wasting money. You enjoyed your bourbon. It's not. It's something that you get to sit back and you sip it and you're reflecting on your accomplishment. I don't know. I got issues. I'll figure this out. Vacations is, yeah. that's where I say, okay, I've earned this. Enjoy mm-hmm. it. So yeah, I'll keep that up. I'm glad that bourbon brought that to you. Right. We're getting uh, too deep here with our bourbon. I absolutely agree with the analogy, but let's move on. Let's. What are you drinking tonight? All right. So my bourbon tonight is very interesting mm-hmm. and it is called Wright and Brown. W-R-I-G-H-T and Brown. But I'm going to say it's like Wright and Brown because I'm brown. So you can't right. <laughs> so Wright and Brown is from Oakland. All right. I had to go local. Oh, that's cool. It that is, is really a local cool. distillery. And fun little fact I found out about them is they're the first distillery here in Oakland since before Prohibition. Really? They opened up in 2014. And I guess uh-huh. there was no other distillery between Prohibition and then. crazy so this is yeah an oakland based this is straight bourbon whiskey i like it because obviously it's so cali they source mainly from family farms in california and they make sure that they practice organic farming methods so let's keep it all organic with our bourbon this is delicious and here's the thing i can't figure out if it's just delicious by itself or if it's because i added a little water this time there you kept giving go. me a hard time and you were like it's a little too sharp add a little water but let me take a sip Hold on. <sighs> it's like a coke commercial okay this is so good i would describe this as more earthy you could taste the rye and the grains almost, it's just earthy. It's not spicy. It's not like giving me this kick or this sting in my throat. It's just so smooth. This is definitely a sipper and enjoy, Mm -hmm. but I like these notes. I don't taste, I don't taste a lot of spices. Mm -hmm. I just taste more earthy, almost caramel. I'm terrible at describing these things guys, but let's just say it's good. It's a good Oakland bourbon. So Mm -hmm. right and brown, I got to let them know. There you go. We Good need job, to write guys. them a review. Great job. Keeping it in the bay. Brighton Brown and Balvini. We'll be tagging those two suppliers in our next podcast and some of our promos for this week's broadcast. But guys, let's step off into some of these cases because we've mm. had quite a few cases that have happened that were that have been interesting to myself and Fatima. Uh, we've been yeah. studying these cases and looking over them. And I just want to offer y'all just a little bit of our own analysis of those cases. Let's just talk to you about, I think we picked these two. They're obviously they're all over the news. These mm-hmm. are really fascinating cases right now. We'll get into whether they're solved or not, or what's going on. But also these kinds of cases make me really sad because they're young people. Everybody's mm-hmm. in their 20s. They're young. They have the rest of their lives ahead of them. And then these tragedy strikes. There was a case that happened in Moscow, Idaho, where there were four young college students who were stabbed to death. One of the victims was a visitor to that residence. This case is extremely interesting to me, and it's heartbreaking also because I am a, an instructor at college and I also am the chief of police of my college. And when you become a chief of police or an instructor, these students not only become students of the college, but they become your students. So I'm sure 
there are a lot of faculty members and staff members that are there at the University of Idaho that are hurting right now. And plus the family members, the fathers and mothers of these young people, because when you send your kids off to college, you expect for them to get an education. You don't expect for them to be victims of a very heinous murder. And that's what happened to these kids. Isn't that gosh, that's so true. It's like you, you send your kid to college and your biggest worry is, okay, if you're going to go to a party and it makes me think of like the Kristen Smart case, right? Mm-hmm. Just be careful. Always go with a friend and don't leave the party alone. Don't get too inebriated. Make sure you mm-hmm. can find your way home. Those are the worries you think about, but the whole text me when you're home, right? That, it's like once a parent gets that uh, or a friend, you just feel more at ease, right? You're home, you're safe. Right. And Chris, this this is awful. This crime is so awful and terrifying because these four students, they were stabbed, right? Right. That's how Mm -hmm. they were killed. They were stabbed while sleeping. Is that what the assumption is that they were all in their own beds and were stabbed? I've been keeping up with the coroner's statements about this case. And there was one of the victims, they won't say which one, but there was one of the victims that had defensive wounds, just one. And the other three looked as though they had been stabbed in their sleep. That's interesting for me as an investigator, because there are a lot of things that you try to figure out on a crime scene, like in a case like this, in the order of the victims. And we should, I would be remiss if I didn't say these young people's names. Ethan Chapman, Madison Mogan, Zaina Kernoodle and Kaylee Gonclaves. They are all between the ages of 20 and 21 years old. Now there were also two other people that were in the residence, but they were unharmed. So as an investigator in a case like this, you always try to figure out the order of the victims. And that takes a lot of testing. You always want to figure out a timeline of which way the suspect came in, which way he came out, which what did he do while he was inside, if this case was some random act or if there was a targeted particular victim that this person was looking for. These are all things that you can determine from the crime scene. And they, they have concluded that they believe it's targeted. That's one of the things that kind of raises my eyebrow with the law enforcement agency that's investigating this case. They've, they've not been very open with the information that they're sharing. And that's due in part because I don't think that this department, this is not a very large department in the first place. The town is 25,000 people. 25,000 people. And the last homicide that they had inside of that city was seven years ago. Oh my gosh. While some may say that's a good thing. And it is a good thing that you've not had a homicide in seven years. Right, But we know the downfall. Downfall is you don't have the experience to work a case like this. I think the inexperience showed itself in the beginning stages of this investigation when they started doing the press circuits and releasing information because they released some information that was put out to put the public at ease, but it actually misled the public about the real investigation. And they talked about how this was a targeted attack and the public has no reason to be upset or or afraid. And that makes you think, okay, they know exactly who this person is. They may have this person in custody or they may know exactly where this person is. So we shouldn't be afraid when that's not the case. They've walked back Mm -hmm. those statements now. Those are just some of the things that I see as an investigator that shouldn't happen in the early stages of an investigation because it only allows your suspect to get further and further away and avoid arrest. So dangerous too, because Mm -hmm. I understand this need to want to put a town at ease, especially a town of 25,000 people. Everyone's freaking out. It's probably a quiet little town. Nothing much happens. 
But when you say targeted, you have to know if you're using the word targeted, mm -hmm. you have to have a suspect or a person of interest. You have mm -hmm. to have some kind of information that is pointing to they intended to go after those four people that night. They knew right. those four individuals will, would be in that home asleep. Targeted mm -hmm. is not just somebody who wants to harm somebody targeted a home mm -hmm. and walked in and targeted whoever was there. Right. No, that's not if they knew those people and they wanted to do this. Well, now two weeks later, you're saying in the news, we have no person of interest. We have no suspect. So that was really misleading, especially right. not to mention dangerous. We're talking about a college town right. where young people are they're going to be out and about, especially around the holidays. There's parties and different things like that are going to be happening around finals or before taking off home. And these young people are all going to be out and about and they're exposed to danger. Mm -hmm. What if somebody's just out there wanting to harm young people? Absolutely. That's very scary. Transparency in your investigations is the most prevalent thing that law enforcement should think about when you're conducting these investigations. I understand you, you don't want to put too much information out. I completely understand. And in certain cases, I agree with that. But in a case like this, where you have no suspects, you have no people of interest, the public becomes your biggest ally. So you need the public's help and you cannot mislead them in any way, shape or form. And the idea behind this is not release information that only the suspect would know. Mm -hmm. Only the suspect would know who he killed first, who he or she mm -hmm. killed first. Only the suspect would know if these people were sleeping. Some of the information that you don't want to release. Telling the public that, hey, we don't have a suspect in mind or a person of interest in mind, you've got to release that information. Right, it's and it lets people know, be on the lookout for anyone. Because if it's for young college students and you're saying targeted, you're thinking it's another college student. That's mm -hmm. what you're thinking, a friend. Ex-boyfriends. So you're already narrowing it down to this demographic of younger people. But if you don't have any suspect or person mm -hmm. of interest, it could be anyone. It could be somebody coming through the town who just sees that the lights were on, the door was open. Mm -hmm. These things could happen. And right. so you definitely want to make sure that if you are looking for the public's help, that they are looking out for anything suspicious. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask you, Chris, it's very interesting that there are four victims yeah. and only one has defensive wounds. That mm -hmm. to me, it's a mystery because a stabbing, it's not like a gunshot wound. We know that the moment you're stabbed once, right. we know that you still have a little bit to bleed out and you come mm -hmm. to. So the fact that there's only one person with defensive wounds, does it make you think perhaps that there's two people involved in this? Maybe one person holding them down while another person commits the crime? I would never, unless the evidence tells me otherwise, I wouldn't completely rule out that there are multiple people involved in this murder. But it very well could have been one person. But that's something but that, that would have been hard, right? Not necessarily, if you think about it. Okay, so my analysis of what I've researched, there were four people inside of the residence that were murdered. Two of those people were in bed or in a room together. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the people with the defensive wounds were one of the two that were in the bed together because, you know, uh, is it they woke up, one of them woke up, the other person woke up and that may have been where the defensive wounds came from. It could be a number of things. Now, these other two roommates, so they apparently they've been ruled out, but right. how are they in this house, Chris, and they don't hear anything? That's suspect. <laughs> 
Is it suspect? Absolutely. But is it possible? Yeah, because of the way that house was built, these two people, one of them were on the lower floor, the other was on the upper floor. And according to what I've researched, these the two survivors were on separate floors. So if they're all intoxicated in inside of the house, is it possible that four people could have been stabbed? Yeah, I guess it is because there's no way that law enforcement would outright come out and say that these people are not involved. We're not looking at them as suspects unless they had some definitive evidence that says that they're not involved. That's the only way. I take that back. I'm going to retract that statement because although that's suspect that there's other people in the house, if you have three out of the four with no defensive wounds, mm -hmm. that means there's not really a struggle. Perhaps right. there's not screaming. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot going on. Sadly, this and person just came in and instantly took their lives. It sounds like without any kind of a fight or struggle. So yeah. these other people, if they're on different floors of the house, they may not hear that, but how devastating for them to wake up to the scene mm -hmm. Which brings us to our next issue, a possibly contaminated crime scene. I read, Chris, that before law enforcement arrived, other folks were invited into the house. Perhaps mm -hmm. the roommates ran outside and were screaming, yeah. whatever. But now we're yeah. dealing with a crime scene that has possibly been compromised. What are your thoughts on that? I know, but then there are probably some people that are listening to this podcast that saw me on the Ashley Banfield show a few days ago. And we talked about this case. Ashley, she's a great reporter, amazing woman. Watched her show on several occasions and I was honored to be asked to come on and talk about this case. But one thing that she kept mentioning was the DNA evidence, the DNA evidence, you know, when they find this DNA, what are they going to do with this and this? As you and I know, Look, DNA has been a tremendous help to law enforcement, tremendous help, but we can't rely on just the DNA. I love it as a tool, and that's all it is, just a tool, because there are so many ways, so many very simple mistakes that can be made that contaminates all of the DNA evidence. In a case like this, what I hate to see are investigators that wait on the DNA evidence to come back before they are out doing the legwork that's involved with the case. Mm -hmm. Investigators will just, okay, we got a little DNA, we're gonna wait and see what it comes back to. Relying on that to steer the investigation when in our actuality, it should be your investigation and the evidence that work hand in hand. And if this goes out again to our law enforcement officers that are fans of this podcast and listening now, you never wanna rely on the evidence rely on the legwork, rely on your witnesses, rely on your interview skills. And then that's uh, let the evidence work in conjunction with your investigation. So you're saying rely on just perhaps direct evidence. There, just, there's a lot of circumstantial and other absolutely. corroborating evidence surrounding absolutely. that, right? And I mean, it's a small town. There's got to be a lot of talk about the possibility of who would want to do something like this. What quarrels yeah. some of these victims were in with other people, ex-boyfriends, mm -hmm. other college students, something of that nature. None of them, they're not mentioning any of them were sexually assaulted or anything, huh? No, no, there, there has not been any wow. mention that I've seen of any of the victims being sexually assaulted. And one thing that we have to keep in mind about this house, speaking of DNA and contamination, from what I understand that there were quite a few parties that happened in this house. And we a know college that house. it's a college house. So of course, you know, you're going to have people that are in and out and every, everybody knows that when you walk into a residence or anywhere, you leave some DNA and you leave some fibers and you leave some sort of evidence now and you always take something out. And these are college students. Let's keep it real. Unless they had a cleaner, 
I bet that house wasn't super clean. And there's going to be evidence of DNA mm -hmm. of a lot of different people who were there and hanging out. It's really scary when you know that somebody's entered a crime scene before law enforcement has arrived to make sure that they can preserve evidence, put things on the bottom of their shoes, Absolutely. keep folks away from the victims. Yeah. We know the moment somebody else walks in, that crime scene can be contaminated. So mm -hmm. if we don't know who's walking in and they're not even law enforcement, you never know. It could be the neighbor. Right. And then you're calling on the neighbor for help. And then the neighbor's coming in and, oh, well, that explains why the neighbor's mm -hmm. footprint is here and their shoe right. is in the right. mud. And that's the problem. But of, of course, nobody's thinking about this when you're in a state of panic and a state right. of shock. You're not thinking about preserving the integrity of a crime scene. But these are all things that we'd have to consider in this case. And it's just really sad. It's for young people and it's yeah. brutal. But apparently they have 250 digital submissions of, of evidence. So mm -hmm. and we're talking a lot of camera footage, things yeah. of that nature. You may see a car coming and going. Mm -hmm. These days, it's really hard. It might might be a small <laughs> town, but to not leave a footprint. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Good luck. Good luck with that. And digital footprints yeah. are something that investigators will definitely be looking into in this case. And when you, you spoke about people going into a crime scene, I saw some video footage that just kind of shocked me. But I understand it now because this is a major city that hadn't had a homicide in seven years. When news reporters pulled up to the scene, they started filming. And usually when we have cases like that, it usually takes 20 to 30 minutes at the most for news reporters to start setting up. And there is video footage of multiple police vehicles being parked just in front of the house. There's no crime scene tape up and there's nothing that, that really sets this crime scene up as a crime scene. I'm afraid, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because the FBI is now aiding in this investigation. Chris, based on the kind of crime it is, that there isn't a sexual assault accompanying any of this, it's a stabbing, which is brutal. It's personal. What what would your guess be? Where would you start your search? Absolutely. You, when you start an investigation, you start at the very center. And then at each step, you go a little bit wider. Start at opening up the scope of your investigation. So in a case like this, I'm going to start with everybody that's closest to these victims. Those will be the family members. Those will be the friends. Those will be the roommates. Those will be the people that are taking classes with them. Those are the people that know some intricate knowledge about their whereabouts that day. That's where you start the investigation and you span it out from there. So you start right there at the crime scene and then you start working your way out. The people that are closest are next because look, most homicides are not random victims. Well, and, and when they are, are their cases that are outside the home. Mm -hmm. Right. So when it's a random targeted attack, oftentimes it's somebody with mental health issues or anger issues and they're on the street, they're passing someone, they just get triggered by something and they attack someone, but you don't often see it in the home right? while somebody's sleeping and somebody mm -hmm. goes in. It, it takes a lot more. Are you leaning towards a man being the perpetrator of these crimes? Just from what I know now, I would say that it was more than likely a male, but I would have to see more of the crime scene and the victims' bodies and photographs of the autopsy. Are women more likely to use a gun? Women are more likely to use a knife against someone that they're romantically involved in. Look, because this, it's personal. It's so that personal. makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if this person did not cut themselves because that's what we see a lot of times in, in murders that you have multiple victims, multiple stab wounds. You'll see a lot of times where they'll stab themselves or they'll put their hand up and stick themselves in the hand. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some blood transfer from a, a 
an unknown donor, which would more than likely be a, a suspect in a case like this. Interesting. We'll have to see as the case develops, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot coming out of that one. There's just too much. It's a too small of a town to not mm -hmm. hear things and see things. So hopefully they're able to, because th those are, that's just a brutal way to go. And mm -hmm. these poor parents, I guess the only comforting thing is if your child wasn't fighting back that much, maybe they went fast mm -hmm. and maybe they just didn't even have a chance to feel it or comprehend what was happening. And that's probably the only comforting thing in that. But Gosh, prayers for those families. Um, another super disturbing case. Yeah. The second case we're looking into is the murder investigation of Shanquilla Robinson. On Saturday, October 29, 2022, a mother receives a call that no parent wants to receive. North Carolina native, 25-year-old Shanquilla Robinson left the United States for a Mexico vacation with several friends. The mother of Shanquilla told reporters that on the 29th, she received a call from her daughter's friend stating that she was sick with alcohol poisoning. She later learned that her daughter was not sick, but was deceased. The friends initially told her that Shanquilla's death was caused by alcohol poisoning. Shanquilla's mother stated that she trusted the group. One of the guys supposedly was her best friend, and he went on a family vacation with them prior to them going to Mexico. So she knew him. She felt comfortable with him. The mother stated that she was devastated to learn that her daughter was dead, but then she was crushed when she saw a video that had been circulated through social media showing her daughter being beaten. She later learned that Mexican authorities started an investigation into Shanquilla's death, and the Mexican autopsy report revealed that Shanquilla's death was the result of a homicide. Okay, so let me get this straight. So Shanquilla Robinson, she's 25 years old, beautiful mm -hmm. black girl. Mm -hmm. She goes to Cabo with college friends, trying mm -hmm. to have a vacation, trying to go and have some fun. It's six people total. And it's not even 24 hours later that this happens. 24 hours so, later. She left on the 28th. Her body was found on the 29th. I saw the video. I wasn't prepared. It was early on when this case just first came out. And I think somebody had posted it on Twitter and it's awful. Right. It is so ugly. Mm -hmm. There's no other word, especially because you see this other woman brutally beating on her. She can't hold herself up. You're beating up your friend who she's defenseless. But we see this a lot nowadays is there's people filming it. And you hear a male voice saying, come on, aren't mm -hmm. you going to fight back? Hold up. You're a man. You're filming this. You see what's happening. Get in there right. and stop it. What's scary is you really don't anticipate that this person's going to die of these injuries. So what was it that actually killed her? The autopsy report showed that she died of a spinal cord injury. And yeah, the assault that took place that they recorded, you only see a portion of it. You don't know exactly what happened after this young lady that was down on the floor because that's where the video ends she's seated on the floor and you can tell that she is kind of out of it she's not moving she never fought back so that's it's absolutely disturbing but this group mentality that occurs when everybody is witnessing an assault like this and nobody stops it because you feel if something really bad was going to happen, then somebody else would be stepping in. So mm -hmm. since they're not stepping in, I'm not going to step in because maybe it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, maybe these two girls just need to fight it out and they got some drama. Maybe Shanquella disrespected the other woman. Who knows, right? All that aside, you're witnessing basically a murder take yeah. place. Yeah. You're witnessing somebody who is not able to defend themselves 
being beaten and you're not doing anything about it. And the wild thing is then you all join in the cover up. This ain't right. going to work. Alcohol poisoning, like a coroner wasn't going to find evidence. I don't know if they thought that thing through completely. Then there's another video that Shanquilla posted just hours before she was murdered. And she was so happy and so excited to be in Mexico and just living life for Tima. Just out to celebrate with friends. And then she goes here to destination where she's looking to have a few laughs, some fun and some memories, and she's no longer with us. Prayers to the family of Ms. Robinson, because look, it's already hard to outlive a child, but it is much, much harder to lose a child under these types of circumstances. Mm -hmm. People that you so know violent. and you trusted, and this is a violent, very heinous murder. Prayers to this family. I hope that they get the closure that they need. And I understand that they have been warrants issued for someone that was involved in the fight, the altercation. I have not released this person's name. But, right, uh, Mexico did issue an arrest warrant. So mm -hmm. for people who are curious how it works, the U.S. can extradite the suspect back to Mexico and they mm -hmm. can prosecute. But also when it's a U.S. citizen abroad and they kill another U.S. citizen, the United States can also be the ones to prosecute. So. I, it sounds like right now Mexico is taking the initiative to extradite this person back and uh, they're probably going to be prosecuting it. But so, based on an old treaty, it could go either way. It could right. be Mexico who prosecutes or the United okay. States. That's what I was about to ask. Is this something that the mm -hmm. U.S. could prosecute here in the States? They can. Really? Yeah. At this point, Mexico is taking the steps. But if they said, hey, we're going to leave it to you, the U.S. can. Okay. They absolutely can. And they have obviously an interest, but so does Mexico, right? This happened on right. their soil. They have great interest in wanting to make sure that they set an example and a precedent that you're not going to come into our country, commit these crimes. It just has this stigma ready for violence. And then you hear, oh, a woman was killed in Mexico. She's been killed by another U.S. citizen. So mm -hmm. they want to make that clear and make sure that people are properly punished as well for doing yeah. things on their soil. If you were on a vacation and you are getting a gut feeling about folks you're hanging out with and something's not sitting right and mm -hmm. you feel like your safety is in jeopardy, do what you have to do. Follow That's that right. gut feeling because right. it's very scary when you are that vulnerable and you're mm -hmm. far away from home and the only other people you have to trust are the people you're with. But right. if you're getting some kind of vibe that somebody is just angry and coming at you, just take yourself to a safer place. I always talk about trusting those guts feelings that you get women call it women's intuition or but hey look it's a good feeling that you get especially when there are circumstances or situations where you could potentially lose your life or be critically wounded you should always trust your feelings trust your gut always have somebody with you that had that you know for a fact has your best interest at heart. One thing that I love about my children, my daughters especially they always took heed to some of the advice that I gave them. Well, if dad's a homicide detective, I'm looking you know. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I don't know if my kids looked at it that way, but yeah, they always took care of themselves and the people that they were with in certain situations that could really lend itself to someone mm -hmm. being seriously injured. I read somewhere one time about a serial killer and somebody listening probably knows because they're all true crime fans. So he was somebody who would follow young women on campus. Mm -hmm. They would be walking back from class and it would be late at night mm -hmm. and he would get an adrenaline rush from their fear because he said these women 
they were fearing somebody was behind them. He said he could sense it, that they would start to walk a little faster or turn their head a little bit and just keep moving along and pick up the pace. He would feel that they had fear, but none of them ever stopped, turned around, yelled at him, or none of them started running or none of them started shouting for help. He said, it's almost like they chose a dangerous situation over being rude. So for all the women out there, be rude speak up, start running, start carrying something with you. Unfortunately, this is the world we live in and you're vulnerable at all times, especially being a woman. The crazy thing in this case is it was a woman doing this, sadly. So it's it's a femicide by a woman. And that's really sad. Somebody who's probably supposed to be their friend, acquaintance, whatever it may be, but um, we'll keep you all updated as this case unfolds too. This is one that we should all keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, let's pray for this family. Hopefully they'll find some justice. Chris, those are a couple headlines for this week. There'll be more in the coming weeks, but we're here to discuss them with you all. We were getting emails from you guys about these cases, wanting to talk about them. So let us know your thoughts and what you anticipate is going to happen. I love hearing from our listeners, viewers, (laughs) with Mm -hmm. reasonable doubt, especially on what they thought went down. Everybody is their own little detective. And if we miss something, let us know. But we'll be returning next week on our next episode with a false confessions expert. One of the things you said about the Idaho murders is police don't want to put out too much information because they want to make sure that if they have their suspect, that person can actually validate Mm-hmm. how a crime occurred. That's one of the ways to make sure you have the right person, yeah, especially absolutely. if there is a confession. So all of that is important. Yeah, so absolutely. we'll find out more about that next week. Yeah, I'm very interested in hearing our experts take on the confession in the Vatrano case. Yeah. Well, family, we thank y'all again for listening to and taking some time out of your busy schedules to share an intimate evening with Fatima Silva and myself, investigator Chris Anderson host of the crime and cookie juice podcast join us again next week where we talk more crime we talk more bourbon and we talk more cases until next time good night good night